welcome back to Sealed, our podcast where we are studying our way through the Bible to be a blessing to ourselves and hopefully you as well. I'm your host, Tyler Seal, and this is my wife, your host, Shiloh Seal. Hi guys, welcome back. So after much work, much groundwork, we are finally getting into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And all of the work that's come before this was to to show you Paul's method of ministry. Chapter 1 is going to begin to show you the fruit of his style of ministry. And I believe as we go through this first chapter, you'll see why we've spent so much time showing you how the church at Thessalonica was built. We're going to jump right in. Lord, right now we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that it would flow forth from our lips and pour out into the people. Lord, anybody hearing this, I pray they have a firm, rooted relationship with you, Lord. Lord. That they've heard your word and received it. That they've seen your power on display. Lord, that they've felt your Holy Spirit filling them. Lord, I pray that they find strong and faithful discipleship and that they become living witnesses to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to get right into it. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you. Excuse me. Always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Hallelujah. So already we have a lot to break down. In the first couple verses, we can go through quick. Paul wrote this letter, but he mentions Silas or Silvanus and Timothy or Timotheus, depending on your version. Now, he mentions them out of respect because these are fellow ministers in this missionary journey. And he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians from the town of Corinth. And like we've said in previous episodes, this is one of the oldest letters that the church has. So before Matthew, before Mark, before the Gospels, before basically everything except possibly the book of Galatians, these letters were written by Paul and sent out to encourage the believers. As we've gone through, they built this church. The Lord and Paul worked tirelessly for three Sabbath days. That's three weeks. They laid the foundations of this church. They built up a following. And now you're going to start to see Paul reliving some of those memories of what what happened in that time. Something you'll hear often in Paul's letters and something that I know is missing from my own life is we give thanks to God always for you all. Always. Mm making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. Paul says this a lot. Like this man prayed relentlessly and his prayer list was long. Mm -hmm. Like by the end, you're like, 
if you really think about it, he's praying for the Galatians, he's praying for the Thessalonians, he's praying for the Corinthians, he's praying for the church in Jerusalem. Like his list of prayers, he prays specifically for Timothy and, and a couple other ministers that he's raised up. Like he prays without ceasing. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. In verse three, and we've spent a lot of time talking about this. This is this is beautiful. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So those three things, the work of faith, the labor of love, and patience of hope, what do those mean? If you move forward to verses 9 and 10, it explains exactly what he's talking about. He gives examples of their work of faith in verse 9. He says, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. That's the work of faith. When you become a Christian, there is a work ahead of you. And this is not something that every one of you has heard. I want to be clear when I say this. Ours is not a works-based salvation. But because we are saved, we put in work and one of those works is casting out every idol in our life and if you haven't done this or begun this work i'm going to pray right now that you begin lord bring to their mind the things that they have put before you that the thrones of their hearts would be cleared away of all idolatry so that you may reign in their lives now this is going to look different for everybody When you become a new believer, there are things you have to cast away. And I mean literally to chuck it in the garbage, chuck it in a fire. There are things. What idolatry is at its core is addiction of any sort. It's, It's putting something before the Lord. Loving something you ought not love. And so idolatry may look different in our time but it still exists. In their day, there was literally temples that these people used to worship at. And I'm just going to say it and be brutally honest. Every one of these Roman temples, every one of these Greek gods is a demon. They are worshiping demons and it's idolatry and God hates it. And you can go through the book of Judges. You can go through anywhere in the Bible and see how God treats idolaters. It ain't pretty. We're in the New Testament. It is no different. I would say the only difference is he wants us to cast the idols out of our life. He doesn't want to have to do it for us. And so the work of faith is trusting that when I toss this thing out of my life, whether it's an addiction or a person, there's all kinds of things. The cursed item. Yes, anything tying you to this world, something that you feel like you can't let go. It could be a family heirloom. It could be, you know, there's there's religions that worship dead relatives. And there's cultures, even in America, that do that all the time. I mean, we're out here in the South and we do see it. Oh, yeah. Ancestral worship is. It's alive and strong. It's going strong and hard out here. And there's many other ways that this bears itself out. But the work of faith 
is trusting that if you let go of that thing, even something like smoking, if you're addicted to cigarettes, and I've been dealing with this myself, I'm telling you from experience, if you're addicted to it, it is idolatry. If you say, well, I only smoke because I'm stressed out, then that means instead of being stressed out and going to the Lord, I turn to cigarettes. And if that is the case, it's idolatry, and it needs to be tossed out of your life because God hates an idolater. The work of faith is knowing that if I do that, if I cast it aside, God will come and fill that place. He will be my stress reliever. Mm, yeah. That's a work of faith. Now, the labor of love comes at the end of verse 9 when he says, you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Those are two different things. Turning from the idol and then serving a living God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going to go there. I'm sorry, but I would argue that you can't serve fully the living and true God while you have your eyes fixed on an idol. And I'm not targeting smoking. I'm saying any idol. And yeah. we have to all, every person has to evaluate, has to stand before God, has to sit in your secret place and ask him what your personal idols are. Mine aren't going to be the same as yours, but I got them too. And they have to fall. They have to be removed, right? Every single one of us to serve the living true God. He's looking for hearts that will turn from the idols. And that and is a work of faith, but the labor of love comes right after that. You're going to face adversity mm. because your idols are not, they're not fake, okay? And I, I want to be clear on this. The reason I was quick to point out it's demonic is because when you leave your idol, it's going to come chasing after you mm -hmm. because it is a real entity that is attacking you. There are things that hate worshipers of God, and they want that worship for themselves. That was, that's the original sin in the garden. You know, Adam and Eve were told that they could be like God. And if you, if you don't actually treat it as a labor of love, serving the Lord, doing the things he mm -hmm. calls you to do, stepping out and helping others, preaching the gospel. You you start doing those things and you'll you'll notice you don't have time for idolatry. You're busy full time. And Paul in verse 3 is mentioning that he always remembers that in those 3 weeks when he began this church, when he first started preaching, what he saw was people fleeing their idols and working tirelessly to serve the Lord. This isn't a church that's years old. This isn't a Christian that's, you know, been a Christian for 10 years. We're talking people who have literally heard the gospel yesterday and are serving the Lord in a labor of love today. Part of my heart's desire is to see the American church start following the example of the churches we see in the book of Acts. And one of the things that I'm noticing straight away from this first study with you all is that Paul does not move slow. Mm. There is no breaks. He went from he went from Philippi, where he was imprisoned, he took a beating, a very stressful, hard situation, 
saw miracles, saw the power of God move, was released, and even that led to more conversions, and immediately he's back on the job. He does not take a break. There's not, this is still the same missionary journey, and now he's in Thessalonica. And if you continue on in the book of Acts through 17 through 18, you see more of the same. He moves from Thessalonica to Berea. He moves from Berea straight into Athens. He moves straight from Athens onto another church. He keeps planting. He keeps walking forward. Yeah, when we were talking about this um, before, just kind of preparing, you know, it occurred to me that he stayed on the move and he stayed busy about his father's business. And I, I can't help but admit in my own life where I was going hard for God where I was busy about my father's business, it was like it was it was like exploding all around. But when I started to, I'm just gonna take a little break. I'm just gonna, um, I need some time. I'm, I'm gonna, pers- you know, you start to kind of get, uh, I guess, caught with the things of the world that you have to do, the daily. I don't know how you'd even how I'd even say that, but life, life gets you, it catches you and it grabs you up. And before you know it, I don't have time to, um, to do, to serve in the ways that God's calling me to, because, you know, I got, I got life. It's, you know, I got to do this. I'm, I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing, you know, whatever it is. And everybody like has these things. And what comes to mind for me is Jesus saying, Anybody who grabs a hold of that plow mm. and they look back, they're not fit for service. We don't have time to look back. We don't yeah. have time to fall back into idolatry. We we have to push forward. We have to keep moving forward in ministry because that's what lukewarm looks like. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily turning away from God. It's just back off the gas pedal a little. Slow on down. Take some time for yourself. You've been in ministry you know, everybody knows how long they've been a Christian, I hope. But if at some point a care of this world, and I mean anything, a new job, a new home, a new land, a new baby, whatever it is, if something convinced you, you need to slow down on this whole holy rolling, telling everybody about Jesus thing, repent of it, rebuke that. That is not true. Everything is cause for celebration in the kingdom when it comes to you know, all of those things. If you got a new job, if you got a new car, if you got a new house, if you're in a new state, if you have a new baby, praise the Lord. And it is now part of your testimony and you keep moving forward with the things God called you to. And I'm not saying this from a, a high point on the mountain. I've done it. Sure. I've, I've been lukewarm. I've drifted away from my first love to the point where I felt like I was in a season where I, instead of preaching the gospel, instead of going forward, instead of going out and sharing with that, that man on the street corner about Jesus, I just need to turn inward and focus on myself, or I need to focus on my children, or I need to focus on my job. And that quick, Mm. you are not laboring in love. You're operating in fear. That's the root of it. You're operating in fear that Mm. you're, you're spending too much time on the kingdom and not enough time on yourself and that's the devil that's the devil talking i can see it clearly now for i have not given you a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind amen yeah yeah 
Now, the patience of hope. This, this is the third part of verse 3. These are the things that Paul remembers without ceasing. So I would say they're important. The patience of hope. In verse 10, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, later on in this study through First and Second Thessalonians, we will definitely get into pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that kind of stuff. But the core is the patience of hope was these people already had been told that Jesus is coming back. And they believed it and they hoped for it. Because suddenly they're not under judgment, they're under the grace, they're under the blood. And if you're not a Christian, the Bible is clear that there is coming a day where every knee will bow to mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and admit that he's the king. But for a lot of those that are now on their knees, it'll be too late to choose him as your king, which means you're bound for hell. If you have not made a choice by that day, the age of grace is over. You don't get to make a choice. This life is critically important. Even though it's short, even though it's brief, and we have all eternity to look forward to, this is the chance where you get to choose to serve Jesus Christ, to believe on his name and the work he did on the cross, to believe the good news and choose him. And they've done that. He says, I remember seeing your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them in verse 10, you, know, you were waiting for Jesus from heaven. You knew that he had been raised from the dead and you knew he was coming back again. And you know that there's wrath to come. It's important. There's many different views within Christianity on what end times eschatology looks like. And we will get into all that. I can't wait. That stuff is fascinating to me. But what I want you to know is that these believers were a month old at best. Yeah. And already they understood somewhat of eschatology. They understood salvation. And as we go forward into verse five, you'll see there's a lot they understood that we don't give credit to new believers as being even able to understand. And then I do want to mention what's going on in verse four. It bears mentioning, but it also bears an entire study of its own. And that's knowing brethren, beloved, your election of God. So he specifically mentions the election of God in this. And this is also another topic that's fiercely debated. I'm going to make it as simple as I can in this moment based on my own beliefs and understanding. So the election of God, we're going to go back to Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. Do you want to read those? Sure. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Hallelujah. There's election in a nutshell. It's saying God knew you. He knew your beginning. He knew your middle. He knows your end before the foundation of the world was even laid. So. He already knows who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Now, the debate and the stumbling block comes in where people who believe in free will say, well, that's, that can't be true because a loving God would never pick people to go to hell. Well, it doesn't say that he picked anybody to go to hell. 
He provided a way since before the foundation of the world for anybody. Christ died for all. Yeah. Amen. So anybody can choose heaven. And basically, just to save time, the way I break it down is election has to do with God the Father. He already knows the entire story. He's witnessing all of human history play out all the time. He sees it all from beginning to end. But the Holy Spirit is waiting for you to choose to trust the work of Jesus on the cross and by your own free will, by your voice, to say the words, I choose Christ over myself, over this world, over everything. I will make him my Lord and I will follow his teachings and I will do what the Holy Spirit calls me to do. So I guess basically I believe both. I believe it's a free will choice to come to Christ. God already knows if you're going to do it or not. And that's all we're going to say for for now on that because it's a huge topic and we could get into that for hours. And now we're going to read, we're going to read on. Let's read maybe five through eight. We'll try that. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much as to you in word sorry. And in much as assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Hallelujah. So we're going to try to hit this, but we may have to continue this in the next part because verse 5 breaks down into some of the most powerful teaching in this entire chapter and I don't want to I don't want to rush over something that's a burden on my heart verse 5 says for our gospel came not unto you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So I want to hit all five of these, and I want you to understand the critical importance of every one of these things. He starts out basically in the negative, saying our, our good news, which is what the gospel is, didn't come in just word. He's saying, I did not just come and tell you the good news. And if you don't know what the good news is, it's that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then was afflicted. He was he was beaten and killed in your place. He took the death you deserve for every sin you've ever done. And because he lived a perfect life and atoned and took your place on the cross, you can go to heaven now. You can have fellowship with the Father. That's the good news. The punishment you deserve is no longer yours to bear because mm -hmm. Christ did that work. That's the good news. That's the good news in word. 
if that is all that our religion ever is, if that's all that the church ever is, then then you could fairly say our gospel came to you in word only. But look at the other four parts of this. He says, but also in power. Yeah. Wow. Well, what what that looks like, and we will go back over this in other parts because he he shows you all throughout this in the book of Acts what that power looks like. But what that power looks like is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you get to operate under the authority and power that Christ was given. And that's clearly taught all throughout the Bible, through the Gospels. That's what we have received. So if you lay hands on somebody and pray, you should expect a miracle. You should expect a healing. Not because you are miraculous, because you operate in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, who has all power and all authority. And I can tell this is going to take far more time than we have, so we're going to pick it up right there in the very next episode. So Lord, we thank you so much for showing us your love and your mercy. We thank you so much for for what you've revealed to us already. And Lord, we pray that you would bring all of these people back to hear your word again. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. We trust in you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.